Yeah, thank you all for being here today. Um, I wish you all a good morning. Uh, um, so grateful, especially for everyone here. The, the people that are here as our visitors are not Zach fans. They're actually students from Liberty um, here to, to serve and volunteer at our Harvest Fair. So if you guys get a chance, uh, yeah, thank them. Uh, uh, they're all from Dr. Wheeler's evangelism class. Um, so, yeah, so grateful for them. And looking forward to the Harvest Festival this afternoon. If you are a visitor here today, I really welcome you to come to the Harvest Festival. Um, and if you don't know where it is, it's in, the, in your bulletin. It has a little Harvest Festival thing, Tucked Away Acres, 380 Buckwheat Lane. Um, so I'd love for you to come to that. We invite all of you there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, yes, as, uh, as Lee was saying this morning, Dr. Wheeler isn't here this week because his wife had surgery Wednesday. It went well. So he wanted me to personally thank you all for his prayers, or for your prayers, um, as she was able to, to get back from that, and he's taking care of her this week. Um, he really, Dr. Wheeler really loves this church. He wanted me to, to say that, um, and he really does. He loves you guys, and he's so grateful for you guys, and I'm grateful as well, um, for you guys and the opportunity you've given me to teach your youth. Um, I really love these kids. They're a lot of fun, uh, and I've had a lot of fun with them. Looking forward to more fun in the future uh, with them. Uh, I'm also extremely grateful for the opportunity that uh, I have to preach to you all this morning. Uh, I know it's, it's, a, it's, it's an opportunity, it's, it's an honor to, to open God's Word uh, here in Rocky Mount, Virginia, at Rocky Mount Baptist Church with you guys this morning. So, so grateful for that, um, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm going to make sure that we get out of here in time today. Don't worry, I don't have too much to say. I, don't, I know that uh, it's not uh, anything I'm trying to offer you guys today that's going to make a difference. So um, it, it's, it's just right here. This is, this is what I want you guys to, to get from me today. I'm not trying to give you guys anything new, anything really deep. I haven't gotten to many theology classes or anything like that, so don't worry. I'm not preaching from, from any classes I'm taking right now. Uh, I just simply want to remind us of, of something that most of us probably already know, uh, maybe some of us haven't thought of too deeply, uh, but I think is, is extremely uh, important and relevant and practical and something that all of us uh, go through and all of us will have to... to to handle in our lives, and, and that is suffering. Uh, Lee said this morning that, uh, that he prayed that we would point people to Jesus in everything we do, and surely suffering is, is something we do, and, and so I want to, to talk to us today about how we can point people to Jesus even in our suffering, uh, and I think that is something that we definitely can do, and, and in fact, something that is, is, is very powerful. How we act and how we react in suffering as Christians is something that the world will see and that, uh, that the world will, will wonder how we can react in, in gratitude to suffering when, when the rest of the world sees suffering as something that sometimes even disqualifies uh, any value in life. So let's, let's start this morning. I'm going to be in Matthew 5 as we start. Dr. Wheeler has been talking uh, to you from the Beatitudes, and uh, so obviously the Beatitudes... Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are hungry for righteousness, and so on. Dr. Wheeler's been talking about how this logic, the logic of the beatitude, flies in the face of our culture, it flies in the face of our society, and even 
the face of our, the desires of our own hearts, that none of us want to be poor inherently. None of us desire to, to mourn all the time. And certainly we don't love being hungry, but, but the Beatitude says that we're blessed when we have, have this attitude in our hearts. And, uh, and the reason why, as Dr. Wheeler's been talking to you guys over the past couple weeks, the reason why we're blessed when we're poor in spirit, the reason why we're blessed when we mourn, the reason why we're blessed when we hunger and thirst for righteousness is because the only place that Christ can meet us is in our place of our need for him. He has come as Savior, and Saviors only come for those who need saving. And those who don't acknowledge their need for Christ to save them cannot meet Christ. And how truly blessed are those who meet Christ, and how truly unfortunate are those who fail to meet him. So this is the place of blessing in the Beatitudes. This is the logic of the Beatitudes. But this last place of blessing in the Beatitudes is a difficult, to, a difficult place to meet Christ. Um, we're looking at verses 10 and 12 today, and, and, and Dr. Wheeler just got to them last week. So starting in verse 10, uh, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is, this is a place where Christ has said we are blessed, just as in all the other Beatitudes. When we mourn, when we are hungry, when we're meek, when we're poor in spirit, we're blessed. And also here in verses 10 through 12, Christ says that we're blessed when we're persecuted, blessed even when we suffer, that we can rejoice and be glad even in such, such circumstances. And, and this is a, a strange thing, but I want you to see that it's not the only place in the Bible where, where this kind of logic comes out. Turn to, to James 1, 2, and 3 if you want, uh, and I'm sure most of you have, have read this verse. It's, James says, count it all joy when we experience trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So James, in James 1 and 2, or James 1, 2, and 3, says the same thing, that we can count it joy when we experience trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. And certainly, one benefit of suffering and of trials and of, of persecution is, is the perseverance that results. And as we're about to see in 1 Peter 4 is, is the genuineness of our faith that that Peter says is worth of even more than pure gold. And we understand that the genuineness of our faith is worth more than pure gold when we see verses like in, in Matthew where Jesus says, um, you know, what, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So, so the genuineness of our, of our faith that is a, a result and is the evidence of our, rea of our grateful and rejoicing reaction and suffering is, is certainly a tremendous benefit and a tremendous reward of suffering. But it's, it's not necessarily what I'm going to be focusing on today. So if you want to look in 1 Peter 4, I'm going to bounce around a little bit at first, and then uh, as, we, as we get these verses and kind of digesting them in our mind, I'm just going to kind of uh, go from there. So 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14, Peter says that we should not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon us to test us as though something strange were happening to us. 
but instead we should rejoice insofar as we share Christ's sufferings, that we may also rejoice and be glad when Christ's glory is revealed. For if we are insulted for the name of Christ, we are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. And this verse, this, this truth at the end of this verse is what I want to look at today, all right? And, and before I get to it, I do want to just mention uh, something, uh, the nature of suffering, the choices that we have when we face suffering, because I think it's important for us to realize that our reaction in the face of suffering is a choice, all right? And there's always two choices, two options that we have in the face of suffering, in the face of trial and, and, and persecution and distress. And those two options are, are, are gratitude and bitterness, all right? And let me, let me explain that. The first option, the first option, the option of gratitude in the face of bitterness, of, of suffering, not of bitterness, is, is when we choose with our suffering to trust God, when we tru- choose to submit to his sovereign will in our lives for allowing us to go through that, and when we choose gratitude as he supplies us with the grace we need to endure it. This is a choice. And, and the second option, also a choice, is to blame God. We can blame God for the circumstances in our lives. We can, we can find our own solutions to the problem instead of trusting him, instead of being patient and waiting on his timing. And we can choose bitterness for, for, God, for God's you know, unkindness in allowing us to, to suffer this hardship. And, and I'm telling you, it's, it's always a choice. You can look in the Old Testament, the lives of King Saul and King David, and see this exact same thing. Both men anointed by God, both men placed in, in positions of honor, and both when, when they're faced with, with tr- difficulty, with trials, with persecutions, reacted extremely difficult, differently, reacted extremely diff- differently. And because of these reactions, we remember them very differently as well. If you look at the life of Saul, when in the face of, in the face of difficulty, in the face of persecution, Saul folds, he doesn't believe in God. He takes uh, matters into his own hands. And, and we, remember, we remember Saul for his weakness and for his unbelief and for his, his unrighteousness in the face of difficulty, despite God's blessings. But then on the other hand, we look at King David, all right, and we see that in the face of even agonizing difficulty, if you read some of the Psalms, David is, is just being pressed so tightly, all right, just being crushed by the weight of the world. And, and verses where, where David says, oh, Lord God, why have you forgotten me forever? He, he says things that, are, that you can tell that his, his pain is deep, but we remember David for his righteousness and his faithfulness and his strength because even in the face of, of this persecution and trials and even in the face of suffering, David trusted God. David put his faith in God and David waited on God's timing. And, and so God honored David and God rewarded David and we remember David for, for his righteousness and for his faithfulness. These are two reactions, these are options that I believe everyone has in the face of suffering and in the face of trials. Now, getting back to 1 Peter, um, the, the truth that I wanted to point out to you guys is, is in that last phrase when Peter said that when we suffer, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. Now, what does that mean? That's what I want to look at today. What does it mean that when we suffer, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us? And the first thing I think we need to see to understand, to begin to understand this is that Peter connects suffering to shame 
and 1 Peter, all right? And we see this in the Beatitudes as well, that, that Peter says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. So being put to shame for Christ is connected to suffering for Christ. And we know this. In the United States, most of us aren't facing death as, as persecution for our faith. Most of us aren't resisting sin to the point of bloodshed, as it says in Hebrews. Instead, most of the suffering we face, most of the persecution from the world we face in the United States is, is the suffering of, of just being embarrassed of the gospel, of, of people thinking less of us or thinking we're crazy or thinking we're uneducated or ignorant or, or, or whatever it is, delusional, as, as Richard Dawkins has, has called Christians. Um, this is oftentimes the kind of persecution we face here in our own context, the, the, the persecution of, of people trying to put us to shame for our faith. And, and, and this is kind of what I'm getting to here. So the, the verse that, that really struck me as I was studying this week is, is, is related to this same thing, how, how when we suffer, Christ's glory rests on us, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. And that's, that's in Romans 8. And Romans 8, 16 and 17 says that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Did you see what, what he said right there at the end of that? Paul says in verse 17 that we, we provided we suffer with him, provided that we suffer with Christ, in order that we may also be glorified with Christ. So somehow, suffering and glory are interlocked in our Christian walk. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever considered to yourself when you're going through suffering in some way, you're just like, man, I'm really glad I'm suffering right now because if I suffer with Christ, really I'm glorying with Christ. My guess is that's not usually our first thought. I know it's not my first thought. Usually when I'm suffering, my first thought is, this is hard. Like, I don't like, this is not fun. I'm not enjoying it. I don't know why it's happening. It's not fun. I don't like it. My first thought is not, man, this is, you know, I'm so glad I get to suffer because I get, you know, to share in Christ's glory as well. But, but somehow, according to, to 1 Peter and according to, to Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes and according to Romans here, somehow when we suffer for Christ, we also have, have the ability to, to share in Christ's glory. And, and this is what I want to dig into today. I remember the first time I encountered uh, this truth uh, in the Bible, and I was, and, and really thought about it. I was at a Disciple Now weekend uh, as a freshman in college, and we were, we were studying the book of Acts. And, and a verse that we had studied that day really, really puzzled me, and I was, I just kept thinking about it. I couldn't get it out of my head, and it was in, in Acts chapter 5. And you could turn there if you'd like. I think this will be the last time I make you Flip back and forth. Acts 5, verses 40 to 42 is, is what we're going to be looking at. And this is, I remember, I still remember talking to people and thinking in my head and just wondering, what does this mean? How is this possible? How, like, how am I supposed to live a life that embodies this truth? And, and if we look at it, this is what we'll see. In the passage of Acts 5, the Sadducees have arrested the apostles for preaching the gospel. And after discussing what to do with them, we arrive at verse 40. And it says, when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then let them go. Then the apostles left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame 
for the name of Christ. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. So the apostles get arrested, they get beat, and their reaction is to say, praise God, praise God for allowing us to suffer for him. Not only that, look at verse 41, look closer, that they praised God that, that he counted them worthy to suffer shame for his name. The apostles saw their suffering as a badge of honor. How weird is that? As a badge of honor, all right? I remember reading it and just thinking, how is that even possible? How do you get beat, probably 39 lashes with a whip, and celebrate afterwards? It just doesn't make sense. But actually, it does. In the logic of the Beatitudes and the logic of Romans 8.17, it does, all right? And, and this is why. I, I believe that, that when we suffer for Christ and when, we, when we're persecuted for Christ, then when we, when we bring our humiliation and our suffering before him, that God takes our suffering and takes our humiliation and, and he turns it into glory, all right? He does it supernatural. Only God can do this. It, no matter, it's, you can't do this on your own. When we have to bring it before God and God can turn it into glory. Now listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying that when we bring our suffering and our, and our shame before God, that he just takes it away and gives us glory in its place. No, what I'm saying is that when we bring our suffering and our shame before Christ, he literally transforms it into glory. That's how God blesses us in our suffering. And I know some of you don't believe me. Some of you are just like, what does that even mean? That doesn't make sense. And that's okay that you don't believe me because I haven't given you proof yet. But don't worry because I'm about to. All right. Do you want evidence for God's ability to transform suffering and humiliation into glory? Do you need to see what it looks like? My, my answer to you is that we need to look no further than the cross, all right? That's right, the cross. The cross of Christ, that act by which our Savior gave up all his rights, surrendered all his honor, laid down all his pride, and died a humiliating and agonizing death. The cross where Jesus took all of our wicked and shameful acts of rebellious sin upon himself, Every lie that was ever told, every hateful thought, all of our acts of adultery and murder, Jesus lifted them off of us and placed them upon himself, all right? And then all the fiery, burning wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on that cross, on that shameful cross, and every drop of God's fury, which is more deadly than the most poisonous venom on earth, coursed through the veins of the spotless Lamb of God. The poison of vipers kills a man in minutes, but the wrath of God kills and then condemns to hell for eternity. And Jesus drank every drop of that wrath that, that we deserved out of amazing love for us, out of amazing love for sinners, rebels, enemies, and now not a single drop is left for us, not one drop. The arms of God are now open wide, offering forgiveness and acceptance for anyone who would confess their sins and call on his name in humility and in repentance and in need, forgiveness, the free gift from God's generous heart of love, and not only forgiveness, but new life. Because in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. On the cross, the words of Jesus in John 5 find their fulfillment. The words of Jesus that said, the time is coming and has now arrived when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. 
The cross, where the sick are healed, where the broken are made whole, where the dead are raised to life. The cross, the only boast of the apostles and the only boast of a people whose citizenship is not of an earthly kingdom but of a heavenly one. The cross, where the great suffering of the Savior becomes the tremendous comfort of the saints. The cross, where shame turned noonday darkness, noonday into darkness, but now the sun will shine in the fullness of his brightness forever, and we get to watch. Think about it. The cross was a disgrace. The cross was a tremendous shame. It was horrible and horrific, and it is precisely what we elevate in Christianity as the most glorious victory of our most magnificent Savior. This is, this is how God turns suffering and shame into glory. This is the greatest example we have. God can transform suffering and shame into glory, and he can do it when we're willing to submit to him in obedience and accept any suffering and shame as a badge of honor because in our suffering, we get to share in the cross of Christ. And when we get to share in the cross of Christ, when we get to share in Christ's sufferings, we also get to share in his glory. And I'm not saying it's not gonna be hard. I'm not saying that all of a sudden it's gonna be easy. No, we still have to wrestle with our suffering. We still have to wrestle with, with our pain and our anxiety. But once we have battled it, once we have faced it, once we have thought about it and, and handed it to God, once we have cast all our cares upon him, as, as it says in 1 Peter 5, he will transform our suffering and shame into glory. Now, I don't have a lot more time, so I'm gonna skip a little anecdote and, and just move to the three points that I have. Um, and, I, and there's three points that I have for you today as I, as I want to close, um, and, and it's this. These, these three points I actually kind of borrowed from Dr. Herschel York uh, from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's a professor of, of homiletics and preaching there. And uh, as I was listening to his, his message this week, he, he called these, these three points the three things that weakness does for the Christian. And I think we can easily replace weakness with suffering and shame here. And I've, I've thought about it and adjusted them slightly to fit our context. And, and here they are. So number one, glorying in our suffering distinguishes us from the world. All right? Nothing, as I've already mentioned, nothing will be a stranger in a world that has an aversion to suffering, shame, and pain than Christians who rejoice in suffering because they get to meet Jesus in their suffering. Seriously, we live in a world that has such an aversion to suffering that, that life, a life of suffering is regarded as a life that isn't even worth living. All right, this is Physician-assisted suicide is legal in six states in our country right now, and legislation, legis, legislation in multiple other states is making it legal soon in many other states, all right? That our world, our secular world, believes that a life of suffering is not worth living at all. And the Bible, all right, Christianity says that a life of suffering is a blessed life because in our suffering, we get to meet Christ. And in our share of suffering, we also get our share of glory, okay? Christians need to be people who are relentlessly hopeful in a world that has no hope when it comes to suffering. Number two, glorying in our suffering distances us from our own self-sufficiency, all right? Answer me this question. Have the times you have made mistakes in your life, mistakes that you regret, have these times been moments where you were relying on God's wisdom and strength to make these decisions? Or were they moments where you were relying on your own wisdom and strength to make those same decisions? My guess is that it's the second one, because I know for me it's the second one. 
1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Let him or her who stands take heed lest he or she fall. So suffering helps us to rely on God and not on ourselves. We need to stop acting like we only need Jesus for salvation and for nothing else. We need Jesus' power in our lives for every single breath. We never graduate from needing Jesus. And suffering helps us remember that. And number three, finally, glorying in our suffering displays Jesus Christ in our lives to a world that needs him desperately. And uh, let me explain this maybe in a, in a kind of a, a longer, back, like a round, roundabout way. Uh, I got a postcard from a friend this week uh, from the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. Now, if you don't know what the Ark Encounter is, if you haven't heard of it, it's a life-size replica of Noah's Ark that was recently constructed in, in Kentucky in connection to the, the Creation Museum, which is also uh, in Kentucky. And that postcard got me thinking. Uh, it got me thinking like, in, like this. We can't approach the cross of Christ like it's some kind of historic relic. We can't walk up to it like it's some kind of museum where we can read interesting plaques about what happened 2,000 years ago and then walk away. Because if our view of the cross is like going to a museum, then our evangelism will be no more powerful than a postcard that says, hey, look what I saw. This is cool. All right? No, we, we need to invite people to the cross as something that we ourselves need as some, and as something that other peoples also need to solve the problem of sin in their heart. So when we, when we suffer for Christ and when we share in his sufferings and when we rely on him for his strength and when we rejoice in his glory, we demonstrate the life of Jesus Christ to a world that needs him. All right, so, so let's, let's recap and then I'll close. So number one, glorying in our suffering distinguishes us from the world. Number two, glorying in our suffering distances us from our own self-sufficiency. And number three, glorying in our suffering displays Jesus Christ in our, in our lives to a world that desperately needs him. So I, I pray that, that as you listen today, um, that, that you're able to, to find encouragement and find hope, even in, in suffering, because it's true that, that Jesus Christ offers hope and offers purpose and offers meaning, even in suffering, even if it's, it's hard to see. And... And, and I want anyone who, who does not know Christ here today to know that his arms are open wide. Every burden, every sin that you think is too shameful to, to give to him, everything that is, that is too big that you think you have to carry, you don't have to carry because Christ wants to take your shame. He wants to take your sin. He wants to take your pain. And he wants to give you his glory because he loves you. His arms are open wide, as I said, and all it takes to receive the love, the forgiveness, and even the glory of Christ is to ask for forgiveness, to remember your own need, and to surrender in humility to a God who loves you. And even though maybe he still allows suffering in our lives, it is even still for our good. So if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ in your lives today, I pray that you would. I'll be here uh, to talk to anyone that needs and there'll be other people in the back. Uh, like I said, please come to the Harvest Festival. We'd love to, to get to know you and to love you and to, to serve you. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll end. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the cross, the cross which is our only hope, which is our greatest glory. We celebrate that 
that even though in accomplishing it, you were shamed, God, that now that it is accomplished, you are glorified. We praise you, Jesus, that, that even as we still share in your sufferings here on earth, as we're persecuted by a world who hates you, that, that you promise us we also will share in your glory, even here on earth and even more in heaven where we will be in your presence forever. We thank you, Jesus, that you've taken all our shame, all our pain, all our sin, all our hopelessness, and you have nailed it to the cross, and your blood has covered us and made us white as snow. Where once we were wrapped in the rags of shame and sin, now you have, have clothed us in the robes of righteousness. Oh God, we thank you so much for eternal life. We thank you so much for hope that does not fade, for a love that cannot be taken, for a presence for your presence in our lives that we can never be separated from. We praise you, Jesus, and we pray that as we go about our lives that we would demonstrate your life to others. We thank you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.